What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. The All Sooners Podcast, episode 176 on this Wednesday, March 1st, 2023. March feels good. Josh Callum in Oklahoma City, John Hoover in Tulsa, Ryan Chapman and more. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Awesome. Can't wait. Uh, boy, we got some controversy at the top of the softball poll. We got some, uh, got the baseball team starting to heat up a little bit. We'll get all mm-hmm. that. We'll get to that in the last awesome. segment. But man, football, football, football never quits. Well, uh, the Diamond Sports ran so that they like took all the power and excitement out of basketball season. Is <laughs> basketball has uh, hit as low of a point as it's had for both both combined. We'll get there later. Um, but, yeah, thankfully football's right around the corner. Three weeks from today, spring practice. Three weeks. The countdown is on. And, yeah, Diamond Sports are turning a little bit of a corner. So there's some excitement floating around. just feels good that it's March. That's a, that's a corner being turned just in the calendar. You get through February. They made February shorter for a reason. It stinks. So we, we turn the corner. We're on to March. Good things are ahead. And uh, we press on. We press on. So we got coming up here, like we said, three weeks till spring ball. We're in that full-blown kind of off-season waiting for spring football where the conversations pop up, random things. We're going to talk about the spring game a little bit because we got a little bit of news there. But first, let's talk about – so Joe Castiglione, flood director of the University of Oklahoma, was on with Toby Rowland, voice of the Sooners, on his radio show. He said some interesting stuff. We had a few stories uh, about some of the things that he said on allsooners.com. But a full recap, you can go check that out. One of the things he mentioned, and I wanted to get your guys' reaction to it off the top here, stadium capacity for Gaylord Family, Oklahoma Memorial Stadium, staying put. Um, he was pretty he, – he clarified it later on Twitter to make it not sound quite as stark as it sounded the quote did uh, when he was on the air. But basically what Joe Siglione articulated was the stadium capacity is fine. We don't need to get bigger in the SEC just because we're going to the SEC to try and match. What we should be worrying about is making just the stadium better and the fan experience better uh, coming up. What do you guys think about that? Because it is something that gets talked about is the fact that those SEC stadiums, a lot of them are bigger than Gaylord Family, uh, which is obviously the second biggest in the Big 12 currently. It'll be like, what, like a seventh or something. And yeah, it's, it's a lot lower. What do we think of that? Is that the right move uh, for Oklahoma to not worry about expanding the stadium, at least right now? Yeah, I think I think it's the right move. I think it's smart. I think it's pragmatic to take a measured approach into the uh, membership to the SEC. I think uh, I think I tallied it up, and currently the current configuration, eighty-two thousand one hundred twelve or something like that, would be ninth in the SEC. Now, nobody at Oklahoma wants to be ninth in anything. Yeah. But if you're going to be ninth, this is the thing to be ninth in because uh, a lot of those SEC stadiums they fill up, they fill up early. Uh, they are just absolutely crazy all throughout the game. The students don't leave at halftime. You know what I mean? Uh, Oklahoma's got some, some things to address. And, and I don't mean the school or Joe Stiglino. I mean, the fan base has some things to address. How loud do you want to be? Uh, how crazy do you want to be? Uh, you know, don't, don't do like LSU and try to injure anybody. Right. I mean, we're not talking uh, <laughs> felony here. Right. But just in terms of crazy, loud, uh, obnoxious, uh, not throwing things, but uh, you know, it being in tune with the the light show that's going on, being in tune with the who's on the um, who's in the crowd, what celebrities may be on the stadium uh, board that are on the field, that just sometimes the OU fans are just not dialed in uh, to what's going on, and sometimes OU we've said this before on the podcast, 
sometimes OU um, rolls out a promotion at just the absolute tone-deaf wrong time of the game. That happens frequently at OU. So if they can put those two things together, the fan base being more dialed into the urgency of what's going on, the school being more dialed into the urgency of the situation maybe on the field, you know, hold off on your on your promotions or your presentations for just a smidge. It's okay if you don't get to all of them. Um, if those two things can happen, then Oklahoma can be what Bob Stoops used to say it's not enough of, which is an absolute snake pit. Remember, that's not my words. That's Bob Stoops years ago saying, yeah, our fans could be a lot better. This isn't exactly a snake pit when they when the other teams come in here. So that changed a little bit on, uh, what was it, 2008, the Texas Tech game when everybody decided to jump yeah. around. That needs to happen more frequently, and I don't know exactly how to make that happen. Well, Bob Stoops had to challenge the fans for that to happen, too. Remember that. That was not a organic – you think of the great atmospheres this stadium's had the last couple of years. That was not organic. The fans had to get challenged because, frankly, for an 85-plus-thousand-seat stadium, the atmosphere kind of sucks. If you, if you look at big-time atmospheres across the rest of college football, we're in those a lot because we travel. Uh, it. it you get up for big games, doesn't get up for every single game, and that's part of why Oklahoma's going to the SEC, right, is that no one's stoked for Iowa State. We'll see in 20 years, are people still stoked for Mississippi State? I think it'll help in the short term. But I think, too, when you look at it, uh, also, last little bit on that, remember how after the UTEP game, we were like in awe of the atmosphere of, oh, my God, the fans stayed for almost all four quarters, and they were loud, and they were juiced because they were happy for Brent? We had to be remark at that because that's not what happens in Norman. So, yeah, uh, just – Remember that, but also it's oh, gotten God. better. It's gotten yeah. better. Would you say over the year since Bob since Bob held the fan, fans' feet to the fire in two thousand eight, called them out and said, "Be there." Uh, Lincoln started doing that. Bob did it a couple more times. Brent certainly does it every chance he gets. I I think that matters, but that shouldn't have to be that way, right? Well, it's also um, as Oklahoma has gotten. The wins have been there, but it's less and less dominant as like they're playing close games at home all the way through and the fans have to stick around, have to stay. Uh, plus like the light show, things like that. So the crowd was pretty good all year this last year. Why? Because OU was in a dogfight like every single game outside yeah. of the UTEP game. So uh, chicken or egg thing there, if you want to be the fans or, hey, you're not getting exciting stuff, that'll all work itself out. But two, take a step back not an Oklahoma issue across college football attendance has dropped. That's been every, it feels like every year the athletic or someone rolls a story out of attendance dropped again, attendance dropped again, all that stuff. And so what have a lot of schools done? There's not the big arms race rush to expansion. The arms race is how do we take the existing facility that we have and make it as comfortable and as, as appealing for a game day experience for a fan to come in as opposed to saying, I've got a 75-inch TV on my wall, I've got 4K, hey, everybody, why don't you come over, you guys bring all the food, I'll host, it's way cheaper to do that. Like, How do you fight that battle? And I think that that's the right mindset from Oklahoma, and you've seen a ton of that, and I think they've done a lot of good stuff with putting money into the stadium that makes it just more accessible, more fun to be in. You look at like Oklahoma State, they're doing that exact same thing right now with Boone Pickett. I, I think that's just kind of... The arms race for expansion for now is over, and, and I don't think you're going to see a ton of places across the country, SEC or not, just being like, hey, we need to add 20 more seats or 20,000 more seats. Right. Parking and tailgating is a big part of that. Uh, if it's hard to park, people are going to fight against it. People are not going to want to go. That's why one reason why Tulsa's uh, attendance has absolutely fallen off the off the table is 
it's not pleasant to go down there and park. It's just not. Uh, tailgating at Oklahoma State has blown up. That's why their attendance has gotten better. Uh, and, you know, Oklahoma has, has kind of resisted some of the tailgating efforts or at least some of what the fans call ta- tailgating common sense, right? Yeah. Some things have gone against what the fans want, and Oklahoma's making money on the side, opening certain lots for certain tailgate um, events. But Ryan, what you said is is right. Oklahoma fights an image problem within their own fan base because Barry Switzer used to say, "Let's hang a hundred, half a hundred on their ass by halftime," and he would. And Kansas State or Iowa State or whoever would have no shot in the second half. So it became a tradition for the students to get up and leave and go get sauced at halftime. I mean, yeah, that's that's Oklahoma's tradition right there for the fans. Nowadays, it's not like that. And not only that, but in 2024, you start bringing in SEC schools. Uh, you're not going to be hanging half a hundred on anybody by halftime. Well, and again, that's also not an OU problem. Like Nick Saban feels like three of the last five years has gone to war with maybe we need to have less student tickets at in, in Tuscaloosa because those students leave too. So this is not just like an Oklahoma fans or thing like that. Like it's across all of sports. Like, it's become more and more of you have to find a way to be an entertaining, fun product for the entire experience. A fan is there. Why? Cause it's so accessible and so easy. These TV deals are big. Why? Cause those games are featured prominently on TV with great production and you just mute the commentators sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I think the OU fan base needs to improve. I mean, I think we all agree about that. I mean, when we go to these other places that we travel to with the exception of Nebraska, I mean, they're all smaller than, than, you know, by a lot, you know, Manhattan, Boom Pickens, whatever. And they're all just as loud, if not louder, uh, everywhere we go. And McLean, I mean, all, all those stadiums are, I think, are a little more juice than OU, despite being half the size sometimes in terms of capacity. So there's some improvements there. Yeah. You guys remember. No, some is, of that a, games, is that an underdog kind of phenomenon, Josh, you think? I'm sure. I mean, you get everybody's best shot when OU comes in. Yeah. I always say that that's one of the best parts for us tr- covering OU and traveling is that we get to see everybody's best game day. We get to see their best foot forward because that's the biggest home game they have of the season, typically. So that, that's part of it. And I do think the slate being better will help. OU's home game slate every year kind of stinks yeah. right now. Um, I think of the really big ones they've had, like when Ohio State came to town, was great. It, it was really, it was, it was great. So maybe that'll help. But I do think that just improving the stadium, generally speaking, has got to come first. I think that goes without saying. Because if you guys think, how many times have we seen – I know the Nebraska game was like that in Norman. I think it happened once or twice last year where fans are saying that concession lines take a full quarter to get through. And, you know, it, things like that. You know, that it's just – it's a nightmare, the bathroom line or whatever. You know, you got to improve that stuff. Because that, that's another thing that dissuades people from going is that it's – it's a mess. You know, it, it's like a four or five hour game. It's one of the few things and you don't have to, but it's one of the few sports where you really need to hit the concession probably at least once to at least get something to drink. Like you have to, it's you, there's no way around it. So nobody wants to wait for a full quarter to, to do that kind of thing. You know what I mean? So improvements there have to be made and, uh, yeah. we'll and see what, what they have uh, up their sleeves. With the career that I've had, uh, you know, long time as a sports writer now, I'm not exactly, I don't, I don't say this, in any standoffish type of way. I'm not exactly a man of the people. I get to the stadium three hours before the stadium, before the stadium opens, mm-hmm. right? Before the ticket, pe- before people get to come in with their tickets. Um, I sit in the press box, you know, so I'm not in the heat. I'm not in the cold. 
Uh, I have access to drinks and food if you need it, that kind of thing. So it's tough for me to sit here and say, you, the fans need to do this and the fans need to do that. I get it. I'm not in that group. I've never experienced that. I've gone to games uh, around here and there as a fan. One of the worst experiences I had was at a, a school up here, uh, 11th and Harvard. Spent an hour, an hour of the football game standing in line to get a hot dog and a water. The water was warm. The hot dog was cold. And I said, that's it. Never again am I coming here as a fan. What, why would you do that? So if people are having bad experiences as fans, uh, even moderate experiences, I totally get it. Um, but I'm, I'm not one to sit here, be able to judge on that stuff. That's, that's just makes it. Yeah. That's what makes it so hard for athletic departments. Cause it's like, okay, yeah. you've got this yeah. finite amount of money. And now with NIL, your donors can say, well, do I want to give it to the university or do I want to go to a collective or do my own deal? So your, your inflow is probably going to be less just from pure fundraising on a normal year when the fan base is juice, like Oklahoma's, obviously they're going to blow through all the records. So it's like, okay, what do you want? Do you put that money into off the field stuff that fans are not going to see, but matters a ton for recruiting and quality life of the players. How much do you put that into the stadium as far as capacity versus how do you make it a, a juiced fun environment all the time, regardless of like, that's the one thing in your conference schedule. Once Oklahoma's locked in and the SEC starts rotating through, if they get on a five-year cycle where two of those four years, everyone on the schedule sucks, there's not, there's nothing anyone can do about that. Right. And so how do you, how do you, fight that you have a fun product yourself as far as what's on the field and you have a fun product in the stadium. And, and that's what I think Oklahoma is rightly focused on as opposed to just the, Hey, this is a cool number to put in our media guide. There's a hundred thousand yeah. seats on this. And don't forget Joe got here as the athletic director when the stadium capacity was 75,000 and the annual at- or the, mm. the weekly attendance was like 55,000. There were 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 empty seats at home games sometimes uh, unattractive opponents and a bad product on the field leads to a lot of empty seats. As an athletic director, you'd much rather have uh, a high percentage of your capacity filled than have 100,000 seats and you look up in the corners and there's 20,000 empty seats. What's the point of that if you're only going to put 85,000? And he invoked the, uh, the the population of the state of Oklahoma. Yeah, that's 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 a big part of it. Uh, but there's fan base. The, 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 I think the largest OU alumni fan base is in Dallas, or maybe the second largest Oklahoma City is in Dallas. So that's a short drive. If you build it, they will come. But, you know, now they're in a period of transition with a new coach coming off a six and seven season. Do you really want to sink that much money into the program to expand the stadium at this point in time coming off a six and seven state, uh, season? So, yeah, no, it's very smart right now to stand pat with the attendance. That's a good point. They did add also to the attendance recently. I mean, whenever I first started attending University of Oklahoma, it wasn't a full bowl. It was, you know, obviously the corners were empty over there. So, I mean, it they did add recently. So maybe give a little time, see how things go. But, yeah, improving the stadium overall, I think, comes first. Just build a dome. Just put a roof on it and make <laughs> it a dome. That's the answer here. That that everybody's Would on board with that. you call it the Switzer Dome? Ooh, I like it. I like that, huh? Yeah, why not? Let's, let's, <laughs> let's do it. Let's just go full Cowboy Stadium in Norman, basically. Make that happen and uh, keep the light show going. The light show is good. We, It'd be even we, better. You could do like lasers and stuff. Yeah, we, we poo-pooed it a little bit, or at least I poo-pooed it a little bit at the start of last season. And by the first night game, we're like, nope, hand up, wrong. 
it it mattered. Yeah. Vans it mattered, and the players loved it, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, they talked it about it. every time you'd bring it up in in uh, interviews on Monday and Tuesday, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, it was awesome. I've never seen anything like that. That was so cool. It's the best atmosphere I've ever been in." So again, congratulations to everybody for getting it to this point. Just needs to go a little bit further now that you're in the SEC. What struck me about that too was the guys who had transferred. I, I distinctly remember Eric Gray being like, "Yeah, a lot of the SEC teams do that." Yeah. And it was like. Okay, didn't even know that. So uh, Oklahoma catching up, I guess, because he was the one guy that week who was like, "Yeah, it was cool." Well, as he like, he was like, "I've been in like ten games like that though." So uh, interesting uh, as they continue to beef that up. Nothing that Joe C said, and we already pretty much knew this, but reaffirms it, confirms it, whatever, however you want to phrase it. Kyler Murray statue coming um, during the spring game. Now, obviously, we had the Baker Mayfield statue last year. It was an absolute scene. Now. It, it's so hard to define that line of how much of the scene was because of Baker, who's one of the most beloved players of all time at OU, and the fact that it was Brent's first game or, you know, first spring game, first chance for the fans to really go see him, you know, on the sidelines. Because it was a certain, it was the biggest, you know, well-attended spring game of any in the country last year. So my question to you guys is this. Is there any chance, any, that OU can replicate what they did last year for Kyler and for Brent Venables year two? Because it seems like it'd be really, really hard. Yeah, no, no chance. Uh, we're not going <laughs> to see 75,000 people in the stadium next next uh, month. Um, since it's March 1st, I can say that now, next month. Yeah. Uh, the red-white game will not be sold out. Um, there will not be 200 former players on the sidelines. Um First, first and foremost, it's it's the uh, it's the spring game. That's a hard sell. Two, the newness of Brent Venables did kind of wear off because it's now his second season. You start; it's his second spring game, so that newness factor is gone. Three, they're coming off a six and seven season, and I'm sorry, I've told you guys this before. I don't like to read the comments, but I read the comments, and people, there are people out there, not a lot of them, and not smart, but they're out there who aren't pleased with the direction of the program. You go six and seven at Oklahoma, you're going to agitate a lot of people. So I think people are going to say, yeah, well, we'll see what he does this fall. I'm not going out sitting in the spring game, high winds, tornadoes, rain, 90 degree sun, you know, whatever. I'm not going to go do that because I'm going to yeah. see what they're going to do this fall. Uh, and then the Kyler factor, he's a little less popular than Baker. Let's be honest. Baker is, uh, for this fan base, Baker is the man. Yeah, the honeymoon period's over. The thing you didn't mention, Josh, though, I don't think it was Brent Venables. I don't think it was Baker Mayfield. Oklahoma fans had two chances in person yeah. to throw the double birds to Lincoln Riley. Chance number one was to show up at Max Westheimer and put a bunch of people at an airport when USC did the Mecca of college football stuff. And uh, we've all seen the Coliseum and how it doesn't fill up, things like that. That was Oklahoma fans' first chance. <laughs> then it was the spring game. It was a spite. I'm in love with Oklahoma. Brent Venables to sit. Like, all of those things. Like, I'm sorry, Baker, and I'm sorry, Brent. It was more about that than it was about either of you individually. And, yeah, I mean, Kyler Murray was the starting quarterback for one year. He's a quiet guy, didn't have the – the hero origin story of I'm an Oklahoma fan growing up. And I just said, screw it. I'm going to walk on all that stuff like that. That's the Baker Mayfield experience. Kyler didn't lose a game in high school. People thought he was arrogant in his dealings with Kevin Sumlin at Texas A&M. He showed that maybe there was something to 
the not trusting in Kevin Sumlin because Lincoln Riley, obviously in one year, made him a superstar. So Kyler Murray proved himself right there and then head off to the NFL. People love him, but it's not a Baker Mayfield love. I'm just more interested in, frankly, last year, Baker coming in, who've talked about this a ton. It was a time that maybe Oklahoma fans needed Baker to come in and say, Brent's your guy, everything's good. And Baker needed Oklahoma fans to be like, nope, you're still walking on water here in Norman after everything he's gone through in his NFL career to that point, the crossroads he was at. Now Kyler Murray is, has a new head coach. He's going to be injured. We don't know if he's going to be starting the year or even 100% or how quickly he'll get ramped up into things. Uh, the word around the league is that no coach wanted to work with Kyler Murray because he's tough. All, like I think Kyler might need a weekend to be like, nope, everything's good. This is what I was. This is what it felt like for the good times and then head back to Arizona. <laughs> Yeah, does everybody still love me? Good, I'm going to yeah. Norman. Yeah, no, nah, Kyler. Yeah, I mean, trust me, huge Kyler fan. I, I really like. For my money, his 2018 season goes right up against anybody that OU's had. Uh, I mean, if you're talking about give me one quarterback for one season, it's hard. I, I, Kyler was in the conversation for me for number one, um, but yeah, you, you can't match the Baker. Love and last year was the absolute perfect storm for all the things we just said. I mean, it was all these factors into one, and they went out for this humongous spring game attendance number. And it's just hard to imagine they could do that again. Now, if they do, I think we'll all sit here on the on the recap show, the uh, post game show, and we'll tip our cap big time if they can if they can come even close to putting seventy five thousand or whatever it was in the seats again. Um, but yeah, hard to imagine that. I will say another thing though, I don't know how much it's going to get that many OU fans, but it, it might help a little. This is the first chance to see Jackson Arnold, who is very popular. Um, clearly we, we can see website traffic on anything that we'd put Jackson Arnold's name on. OU fans love that guy. And this will be his first time suiting up. So this is a chance to see him. And I think if OU, I don't know if they would do it, but how great would it be if it's the red-white game and Dylan Gabriel's quarterback of Team Red and Jackson Arnold's quarterback of Team White? That would be awesome. That 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 has a little bit of juice to it. I'd like to see that. So that might help. But, yeah, the number that they got last year, hard to imagine. They don't uh, – they, they came out last year. Another factor was uh, Dylan Gabriel's first time to suit up. Remember, transfer from UCF. Oh, boy, let's see what this left-hander's about. So some of that worked in, uh, worked sure. in his favor, worked in the team's favor. He didn't have a great day throwing the football on a windy day. Uh, but, Ryan, great point on the Lincoln-Riley factor. People showed up to say, here's for you, here's <laughs> to you, Lincoln. Yeah. Uh, and they did that last year, and now a lot of those people are probably going to say, no, nah, I, I flipped my double birds last year. I'm good. I'll wait till fall. Especially when Lincoln-Riley was a Caleb Hamstrings, Caleb Williams' hamstring blowing up away from potentially being in the college football playoff. <laughs> I mean – Nobody wants yeah. to admit that. <laughs> That's very true. Nobody thought he was going to have that year. They, they did. So we'll see. The big question is just, will Kyler Murray's statue have two of the correct feet? That's the big question. <laughs> we'll be examining it very, very closely. I would imagine that there's going to be extra special attention paid to the feet this time around, if they're using the same sculptor or, or whatever. I have yeah, to. Agree. I would hope so. That was is, so weird. Is it going to be shorter than the other statues? Like just by a little bit, like like not not too much shorter, but just like tastefully shorter than the other ones. That's another thing to look at. Can they somehow get his pose where he's like doing the little leap over the goal line into the end zone? Yeah, that'd be sick. I don't know how you. That might be really hard in statue form, but that would be that'd be good. 
that'd be good. So we'll see. Um, Throwing a pass to Grant Calcaterra. That's what. That's how I'd have it. Tom Herman's like, please no, God no, yeah. I can't. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> what a crazy season! That was a fun season. Kyler's one season was awesome. Um, but yeah, what a career for him. Cool that he'll have the statue. I look forward to seeing that, and we'll see what kind of turnout they can get as far as the former players. That was another thing we talked. You mentioned that was like a, every former player ever. It felt like was at that game uh, of note. It was nuts. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. It's coming up next month. Spring ball in three weeks, and we'll uh, we'll see Brent Venables. I'm sure that one of the first things he'll say at that first spring conference is everybody needs to be there. Start doing that whole thing again. So we'll uh, we'll see what Oklahoma can do next month. All right, we'll take a time out here. We'll come back. Speaking of speaking sure. of former players, real quick, we'll go to the break with this. Uh, Creed Humphrey is uh, going to be honored on Saturday at Shawnee High School. I guess they're going to have a pep assembly in the gymnasium or something, and he's going to show nice. up. So uh, yeah, that's cool. Good for Creed. To celebrate Creed Humphrey's Super Bowl championship. That's awesome. Shawnee Wolves, I think. Legend, I believe. Yes. So, shout out. Good, uh, nice baseball facilities out there. So, they always have the state tournaments for the small small schools in uh, Shawnee. Shout out Creed. All right, we'll take a time out. Come back. A little NFL draft stuff to talk about. Combine is this week. Uh, so, we'll talk about that a little bit. What guys need to have a big week in Indy. And also, spring ball starts in three weeks. What transfers next season are going to be the biggest impact? We'll talk about that a little bit next as well, right here on the All Sinners Podcast. Hey, it's John Hoover from my friends at Trade Pros. Spring's right around the corner, and you're going to need to make sure your air conditioning system is running right. So right now, through the end of March, Trade Pros is offering a $25 spring tune-up. Now, that's a $100 value, but this month only, $25. The spring tune-up is a comprehensive preventive maintenance check. They're going to do a full system diagnostic. They're going to check your Freon levels. They're going to make sure that your amperage on your system is where it's supposed to be. Heating and air systems can be complicated. And you want to know that your electronics are running at peak efficiency as the weather gets warmer. So just call Michael at Trade Pros, 405-593-1585, or go to TradeProsOKC.com. I think it's time to call On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners. Ryan's at underscore Ryan Chapman. Hooves at John E. Hoover. I'm at Josh M. Calloway. Our website is allsooners.com. We're a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All right, segment two here on the All Sooners podcast. John Hoover, Ryan Chapman, Josh Calloway. Spring ball starts in three weeks. We mentioned that uh, earlier. Three weeks from today for spring practice. So get your mind right. Get a little bit of time. Get your affairs in order. And then we're going to be hitting it uh, hard for about a month there. Open practices that we find out about an hour in advance, I'm sure, like like last year maybe. We'll see how that all goes. The season, obviously, coming up in just about six months uh, from now. So last week on the show, we talked a little bit about what transfers we were excited to see for the first time in spring practice, put on the pads, and just kind of see what they look like, basically, in person. Let's spin that forward into the season real quick. Who are the guys that are definitely going to have a big year in your guys' mind? Who needs to wait a little bit? And who's more of a down-the-road impact? Who is the biggest impact transfer that Oklahoma got going into next season? Can we? Okay, so I'm going to pick a couple here. Ryan, you pick a couple, and it doesn't matter if they overlap. Josh, same thing. Can we eliminate 
Austin Stogner from this discussion because we it's kind of a no-brainer that he came back to catch passes. Uh, I asked him specifically, you know, hey, you know, you caught 20 passes last year South Carolina. Braden Willis blew up. You watched from afar. Is that one of the reasons why he came back? And he goes, yeah, to play in this offense, yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, big year coming for uh, Austin Stogner for sure. Um, the story that I wrote this morning that just published this afternoon or earlier this morning on uh, All Sooners is uh, on the wide receiver from Michigan, Andrell Anthony. Ryan, you got a chance to get some FaceTime with him. I FaceTimed with him as well. I say FaceTime, not I'm talking face-to-face interviews. Um, this was a couple of weeks ago when they made everybody available. I was blown away. I, maybe not blown away, but very impressed with uh, how convicted he was that he was going to uh, make an immediate impact, have a, lo- a lasting impact. He's going to be a good teammate. He's going to do everything they ask him to do. He's going to work hard. He's going to keep his head down. And he wants to come in and use his athletic ability, right, to make that impact. I kind of see that happening. After talking with him and after listening to the full 30, 35-minute conversation that you guys had, that everybody had with him, I kind of see that happening. I see him, um, he talked about Drake Stoops being kind of a mentor, a big brother. It's a big brother program, and I just got to presume it's something that the Soul Mission created, the big brother. Hey, you're newcomer. You got a big brother. His name is... And in this case, it's Drake Stoops. So that's really cool. Uh, and then the slam dunk for me is obviously uh, Desan McCulloch. I think he's going to come in. I think he's going to be a spectacular player. He's got height, length, reach, you know, with the arms. Uh, he looks like an NFL prospect right now. Um, and then you spend a couple of minutes with him, talk to him, get to know him a little bit. And he's even more impressive. Very, you know, comes from a coach's. He's a coach's kid, comes from a football background, a football family. I will be shocked if he's not like an all big 12 type contender, second team, first team, all big 12 type player by the end of the season. Yeah. And on the Andrew Anthony thing too, um, we sit in this interview setting with, you know, basically all the players throughout the year. And the one thing that really stuck out to me, if you go back his recruitment, what little production he had at Michigan, but when he was used the, the big, you know, buzzword, whatever was talking about his speed, which absolutely. But what stuck out to me is Andrew Anthony's arms. He has a ton of length. He's a very long, lanky guy. And I was trying to think back to last year and, and just out of the wide receiver room specifically, like Jaden Gibson's one of those guys, but we didn't see a ton of him as a young guy. Nick Anderson as well, injured. The only guy that really contributed that had that to him was Theo Weiss. Otherwise, it's Marvin Mims not super long. Then this year you're looking at Drake Stoops, Jalil Farouk, a Gavin Freeman, those guys. It's just a different body type. So I think that'll give him an advantage trying to make a larger impact at Oklahoma than he did at Michigan just because he's something different that Oklahoma doesn't have a ton of. So I'll be interested to see there. Uh, McCullough, yeah, I think that's the layup as well. I'm going to cheat a little bit. Bill Connolly did a really good job. Uh, he does a lot of stats and stuff, S&P Plus for ESPN. He did a deep dive on what position groups make the biggest impact via the transfer portal linebacker on defense was one of those so that tracks with McCullough and offensive tackles have a pretty high hit rate by kind of his metrics and so a guy that I think may fade to the background a little bit through spring football Walter Rouse coming from Stanford because he's got that labrum injury we're not going to see him out on the field in the spring game things like that might be easy to forget about but that's a veteran guy who he was at, head into last year, he was, I'm going to the NFL. I'm going to the NFL. It's happening. He didn't finish his biomechanical engineering degree, one or two classes he had left behind intentionally because he's like, I'm going to circle back after my NFL career, fix those up. 
He's going to be a really smart guy that can come in. He'll be able to digest the playbook. He's a veteran. That's not what you're worried about. And he talked, too, about a lot of the technique things that Bill Beanbow's already pointed out to him. I think he's someone that's going to be able to mentally translate that while he's off the field of saying, I need to do this, I need to do that, and then be able to roll that forward in the in the summer and fall. So I think that um, Stogner notwithstanding on the offensive side, obviously, uh, like we talked about, Walter Rouse is going to be a big piece of that offensive line. Yeah, McCall and Stogner are, are a couple of slam dunks, um, certainly, I think. Just, I mean, you have a knee with Deshaun White moving on and that cheetah spot, McCullough seems perfect for it. And then Stogner, yeah, I mean, tight end one, uh, filling right in for Braden Willis, the familiarity. We talked about that last week, how excited he is to be back. He seems like the obvious move. A couple other ones that I'll, I'll, I'll toss in. Uh, Rondell Bothroyd from Wake Forest. I mean, defensive end room, you know, we did the report card series and everything. Not not great. I mean, it was disappointing. Ethan Downs, Reggie Grimes, those guys didn't have the seasons that we were kind of anticipating or thought they might. So adding him to the mix there, he can, might really improve uh, You know that room with Miguel Chavis. Excited to see what he looks like. Um, I mean, a pretty well-established career already, right, under his belt at, at Wake Forest, but a lot of football. So he's a big one. And then I would throw, too, I, I almost, I'm a little guilty of this myself, kind of forgetting about him a little bit, but Reggie Pearson from Texas Tech. I mean, the guy clearly can hit. We saw what he did to Dylan Gabriel, about destroyed him um, pretty much on that, that trick play in overtime. The safeties room is kind of, I mean, Billy Bowman is Billy Bowman, but Justin Broyles is obviously gone, so that clears up some snaps. You still have Key Lawrence, Peyton Bowen's here now. People think he might be ready. Where does Reggie Pearson fit into that? It feels like he's going to be a guy who, and, and he's, He's used to the conference, not that that, I don't know how much to put in that, but he's played a lot of these teams before, right, obviously, and, and been to these stadiums for the most part. So I think he's going to be a fun one to watch uh, as well. And just the fact that they have somebody on the back end of their defense that other teams have to think about, like, this guy will smoke you, you know, on a, on a deep ball over the middle or whatever. I think that that's a little something that's kind of been lacking for Oklahoma. They don't really have anybody that I would consider, like, a hard hitter in the back end of the defense in a, in a while. And uh, that seems to be the book on Pearson. So I throw him in the mix there too. I like Pearson, Josh, and I like Bothroyd as well to both come in and make an immediate impact. Bothroyd, uh, again, another one of those guys, when you talk to him, you understand why that why he was a priority for the Oklahoma coaching staff, uh, why he was recruited previously by, uh, you know, Todd Bates or whoever uh, at Clemson and Venables. Um, same with Pearson. Pearson has experience at Wisconsin. I mean, he played, he was a two year starter, one year starter at Wisconsin, uh, and then kind of got a medical situation, a weird medical situation where he developed this abnormality. And Wisconsin got real scared and said, We're not clearing you. So he goes and gets three different opinions and gets cleared uh, to play college football by everybody except Wisconsin. And he transferred to Texas Tech. Now he's transferring to Oklahoma. So, um, Lots, uh, lots going on there. Lots of opportunity for guys to step in, and make an immediate impact. I look for uh, everybody that we've talked about here, uh, and I keep hearing good things about Caleb Schaefer from uh, Miami. Well, and I'm sure that anyone listening to this, whether you're second screening at home in the car, or whatever, you're probably on Trace Ford. Trace Ford's here. The question on him is going to be. How healthy, like how many snaps can he take on? If the health is there and he looks like the Trace Ford that tore it up early in his career at Oklahoma State, if he moves another year on past some of those major injuries, 
then absolutely. I think everyone, or at least for me, I'm hesitant to, I don't know what to expect. I don't know. Is he a guy that's going to be able to give Oklahoma 15 good snaps a game? Is he going to be a guy that can give Oklahoma 30 good snaps? Like, I I don't know what that's going to look like. And I think that's something that you won't really know probably until Texas, when you've seen about half the season of how high of a level for how many snaps can he play? Same with uh, Jacob Lacey from Notre Dame, spent eight games last year. He's, he, he played four games for the Irish, and they had an open date. He spent the next eight weeks in the transfer portal. So no mileage on those tires, right? He's not a guy – I asked him specifically. He said, I'm as healthy as I've ever been. So he's a guy that could come in and make an immediate impact as well. Yeah, Trace Ford, I think he goes to number one on this list on November 4th. Um, that game oh, yeah. in, in, in Stillwater, he, that's going to be fun. That that I mean it, it's bedlam anyway. It's the last bedlam, but that Trace Ford angle is going to be great. Uh, we're, we we will get him that week in the midweek interviews, assuming he is healthy, hopefully, and uh, he he's going to be on one that week. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing what he does. A lot of guys here that could contribute right away, which is uh, exciting. I think for Oklahoma fans, certainly. So from the guys coming in to the guys who just left. NFL Combine is this week in Indianapolis. Before we talk about that, though, let's real quick pivot over to one guy, Anton Harrison, Mel Kuyper. Everybody knows who Mel Kuyper is, NFL draft guru. Has Anton Harrison number 13 overall to the Jets. First rounder, I mean firmly in the first round, number 13. He's the third tackle off the board um, is Anton Harrison. Looks like he's going to be a first rounder. I mean, you guys – it, it feels like that's the way this is trending. Um, he'd be the first one since 2020 when CeeDee Lamb and Kenneth Murray both went in the first round. Nice little feather in the cap here for Bill Beanbow. He's having himself a nice NFL run with uh, all the guys who had great seasons. And obviously, we just mentioned Creed Humphrey winning the Super Bowl along with Orlando Brown. And now you might add Anton Harrison to the mix here very, very soon. Yeah. Josh, at some point, these NFL personnel directors and general managers and scouts, they start looking to see who Bill Biedenboe has putting out next. You know, they go to Oklahoma and say, okay, well, what about Biedenboe? Who's he got coming out? That's that's the the reputation that he's developed, and it's unbelievable. Um, there's not a – in the history of the NFL college football, there's not a lot of assistant coaches that teams go to and say, we need your input. Who are your best players? Who have you put out lately? Who's coming out next year? You know, that kind of thing. Biedenboe's got that – that kind of cred. Um, so yeah, Anton Harrison, man, uh, I saw in an earlier mock draft where he was at like 16 or 19 to the chargers or something like that. I think it's getting to be a pretty consensus opinion that he's, he's a first rounder. Yeah. Harrison helped a lot by like Olufashanu who was mocked during the season. He's Penn state's uh, tackle. Everyone's like, this is the guy, this is the guy, this is the guy. He'll be the first tackle off the board. He decides to go back to school. And so now you're looking at Skronsky. Skronsky, I think, from Northwestern. Alabama's got a guy in there. But there's not a – those two are the ones that are currently, hey, either one of those might go. But it doesn't seem like there's this real strong-held opinion of, like, this guy's the number one tackle, this guy's the number two tackle, and then you have to hope for a run. Like, this is a big week for Anton Harris. I think it's the biggest week. Him and Braden Willis are the two that have the most upward ability, I think, at the Combine. Eric Gray and Marvin Mims, I'm sorry. Their teams will look at your 40 time, and that's going to define where you get drafted. But, like, we know the production at those two positions. It's going to be how fast can you run in a straight line. But Anton Harrison can go in there, and if he has a really good week and impresses some teams in the interviews, 
he could for sure put himself in that like he's a first round tackle but that higher first round if the quarterbacks start flying in the top five and then a run on tackles happens and the team goes we got to get Anton Harrison that could be a big payday for him early on Ryan what do you think Marvin Mims is going to run in the 40 not good um I I just this may not be fair but I stood on the field in Morgantown and saw him got run down by a not very athletic West Virginia secondary um, on a play that should have been a surefire touchdown. And I think that's going to put him in the third, fourth, fifth round, not because he doesn't have ball skills and can't run every route and is explosive. He doesn't have like four, two, four, three, that high end speed. And right now what teams are looking for out of their top end wide receivers is they're going hunting for a Justin Jefferson or a Jamar chase that they can play on rookie money for three or four years. And, and I think that's I think that's just going to be the issue with Marvin. I think he's going to step in, be incredibly productive, but as far as draft goes, he's just not I, four five, four six, somewhere in there. Okay. Uh, I will add this: you're right about the West Virginia uh, observation. It's not fair because it was cold and raining all day, and it was at the end of the game when he got ran down. But it was also cold and raining for West Virginia's secondary. True, but. I don't remember who made that tackle. Had he been out there, had he played a bunch of plays, had he made a bunch of tackles, I don't know. My point is is that when you're at the Combine, you've got your little uh, aerodynamic shirt on and you know, you've know you got your number, right? I mean, it's the, the, the surface is totally different. There's no wind. There's no rain. I'm going to predict he runs a 4-4-2. We shall see. We shall see. Who is it that has the most to gain uh, in, in Indy? Is is it Marvin Mims? Is it Harrison? The full list here, if you don't recall. Seven guys. Eric Gray, Marvin Mims, Braden Willis, Anton Harrison, Wanya Morris, Jalen Redman, and Michael Turk, Mr. Punter. Who has the most to gain? Who, who needs to step up and, and uh, deliver in Indy? I will say the most to gain. Uh, I think there are some first-rounders in here, and I think there are some free agents in here, but I think the guy who can really show the most – improve the most, improve his station more than anybody else's Jalen Redmond. Right now they're looking at his film. They're looking at his tape and they're saying, yeah, the kid can play a little bit. There's no doubt he can play, but we've got two years missing, two and a half years missing because of health issues and uh, not injuries necessarily, but health issues. Uh, They want to get him in there and they want to poke him and they want to prod him and they want to test him and they want to look at this and they want to look at that. I mean, he had the blood clot issues, right? You don't want anything to do with that if you're an NFL team if there's anything lingering. So if he gets in there and shows everybody, that's not a problem. It's a thing of the past. I've moved past that. I'm a player now. Uh, look at the good the good side of my film. I think he's got a great upside. I think he could work his way. You know, he came in with five-star accolades, at least some on some recruiting services. He could make a move at the, at the combine just by getting to know people, just by getting to uh, meet the scouts and stuff like that. He can make a move probably from undrafted to late second. Nah, probably not second round. Third round, early third round, maybe mid third round. Yeah, if you remember, and this is going to be really, you have to be a college football diehard, but uh, Maurice Hurst, the the big defensive tackle that was coming out of Michigan that everyone thought could be a first, second round talent. And then on draft day, he's dropping, dropping, dropping. We find out, oh, there's some irregularities with heartbeat and blood clotting and things like that. And I think it was like, the fifth round when the Raiders finally circled back around and said, yeah, we'll take the shot in the dark on this guy. Like that is stuff that NFL teams freak out about. And so being able to talk to him, stuff like that. My bigger worry for him is actually just the same conversation we had with Isaiah Thomas last year of 
early in his career, Ram was playing on the outside. Then I don't think he was best utilized on the interior, but he had already made that move under Grinch's speed D. And I think Venables and that defense were kind of stuck with him. If Venables had been here his entire career, I think Jalen Redmond plays defensive end his entire career and is that productive at defensive end his entire career. And so now I think there'll be some conversations with some teams of if we take him, do we want to slim him back down just a little bit and slide him outside? Do, like it's not a cut and paste all 32 teams are looking at you as this is where we're going to play you. So that can work for you. It can work against you. Just have to see how that goes. Uh, for me, though, these teams get Braden Willis into an interview room. And it, if someone's not doing their hard, you know, deep digging on Braden Willis yet, and they kind of look at uh, some of his early production and go, where was that? And then he's like, well, look where I was behind. We had the change of offense. Now go watch me block last year. Like Braden Willis could not come off the field because he was – the team's best blocker on the perimeter. He was money over the middle. He showed that athleticism, all that stuff. And and Josh, you've you've talked about this before. Like you get in a workout setting, Brain Willis is going to flash as well. So I, the combine is meant for a guy like Brain Willis, who is unbelievable in interviews. He's going to blow these guys away with his football IQ and how he carries himself. He's going to do himself no disservice once the workouts start happening. And I think a lot of teams might circle back and look even harder at his senior film, super senior film and go, yeah, that's a guy that uh, might bump up a little bit as someone that with a tight end, you never know if that range is someone falls in love with you in the fifth round. If you're a preferred undrafted free agent coming in, like what that looks like, I think Willis will help himself out a ton. You know what? The NFL's stupid though, because people like um, JD Runnels, um, who'd we have just a couple years ago? Flowers. Uh, fullback. Yeah. Flowers. Why did he not get in the NFL um, last year, year before last? Jeremiah oh, Hall. You. Jeremiah Hall, thank you. <laughs> the NFL hates fullbacks, but now, since Gronk especially, they've developed this love affair with tight ends. So a guy like Braden Willis, who began his career as a Lincoln Riley fullback, has evolved into a Jeff Levy tight end, and it's like, oh, we love this guy. You know, They wouldn't touch him if he was still playing fullback, but they love him now because he's going to be a tight end. Football can be stupid sometimes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, Braden Willis definitely up there for me as far as just – he's not – I've looked at a couple boards. He's not in the top 10 tight ends. He's not even in the top 15 on a lot of boards. He's like somewhere in that 15 to 20 range. So, yeah, I mean, go and have a nice combine would be very nice for him to try and get into that conversation and be drafted at all, you know, in the, the, the later rounds. And then, you know, why not? Michael Turk, it's hard for a punter to get drafted, but if you go out there and just boot some balls all over the place – it might get picked up in the fifth or sixth round or whatever. It could happen. So big things for Turk. And we'll be keeping an eye on what's going on out there in Indy. OU Pro Day, like we said last week, is not until the 30th. So it's it's a long way from now. So these guys are going to have a full month, basically, to bounce back, for lack of a better term, or if they have a bad combine or, or build on it or whatever. Got to perform. They got to perform. They got to go up there and absolutely perform. Remember the, the story I've told before about Curtis Lofton. He went up there and he was you know tested and met the teams and did all this stuff, met, interviewed, interviewed, interviewed day after day after day. He said his, he got nervous and his body shut down. He didn't use the restroom for three days. He didn't use, he didn't relieve himself for three days. And then they take, take him out there and say, okay, now go run a 40. And he ran like a four, eight. Why do you think he ran a four, eight? Cause he was constipated. So poor guy, you got to be able to perform under those, uh, under those conditions. That's one of the things that they're looking for. Well, and remember last year how I know we talked on the last pod about 
polar opposites. The con- the combine and pro day was boom, boom last year. And half the guys didn't participate. And they were kind of just like, my body was still recovering from the combine process. This is going to give Oklahoma's pro day participants a legitimate chance to take what happened in Indy and improve on whatever they need to improve on. And that really wasn't the case last year, which is kind of a bummer for those guys. Yeah, and that's exactly what Curtis Loft did back in whatever year that was, 2008. Uh, he came home and had an unbelievable pro day, and they were like, yeah, okay, we, we see that. So um, Turk, though, I don't think he's going to do it at uh, Lucas Oil Stadium, but when they have their pro day at OU and he's going to punt for scouts in Norman inside the Everest, He's going to punch holes through the Everest. <laughs> He's going to send balls into, yeah. the, into orbit through that roof. So look forward to that. Yeah, last year the uh, pro day was next week. Um, it, was, it, was, it was right after. So, yeah, very different uh, setup this time around for, for Oklahoma. So we'll see how that benefits the By guys. By the way, we didn't mention Wanya Morris. So Wanya Morris. Wanya Morris. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I wanted to get his name out there. We do. He probably, he's going to get drafted, so I mean, he's oh got yeah, some for sure. Game from, yeah, so for we'll sure. see what he what he does out there. He might be someone. It, you know, you would hope that these teams have learned a little bit from guys like Orlando Brown, who had terrible combines. But it's like you're looking at the wrong things with offensive linemen. I fear that we could have something similar with Wanye, where he runs a brutal forty or whatever. And it's like, why do you care about how fast your offensive lineman is? <laughs> That it's, could happen. It's the first know. the first 10 yards. Like like they should just like fire off the football. What they need to do, the combine doesn't need to be fixed, but they need one of those bar like the the punching bag things. They need that version of that, but you set up like a force thing right in front of the offensive lineman. Let them fire off the football and be like how many yes. Gs did they blow into this bag? And then like the arcade game thing where you yeah. punch the yeah, yeah, so instead of doing the 40, I want to be like, oh my gosh, Wanya Morris used how many pounds of force to blow this thing off the line of scrimmage? That's what I need. And uh, that's the end of Ryan Fixes the Combine that doesn't need to be. Same with the uh, same with the vertical jump. Kind of what's the point? I mean, I know you were measuring explosiveness and all that, but how high you can get with your arm has nothing to do with blocking. I don't know. Maybe it does. Blocking defensive. I, there's no way Trent Williams has ever jumped to his full <laughs> ability on a football field. There's no scenario where that would ever need to happen. If, uh, you, have you seen those videos of him where he's they put him on the flank, they, they flex him out a little bit, and then he pulls across the back of the formation and just obliterates somebody? It looks like a truck scary. hitting a small car. That's scary. It's like a big, like a dump truck or a cement truck or something hitting a small car. It's like, stop. Oh, God, no, what? Yeah, I need the G's on that, please. I need the G's on that hit as well. <laughs> Frightening. Frightening. So we'll see. What happens in Indy this week? Seven guys there. We'll uh, be keeping an eye on that for the former Sooners. All right, we'll take a time out here. We'll come back. Other sports, men's hoops, big win. Might be too little too late. Women's hoops, brutal loss. And we'll also recap the Diamond Sports softballs back at number one. Talk about that next right here on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners.
final segment of the All Sinners Podcast, episode 176. Send you on your way here. First March pod. We are moving right through spring ball in three weeks. Mentioned we talked about the transfers in the last segment. Do want to let you know that there is a new series beginning on allcenters.com. Transfer Tales. Who's had the first? Is it just a couple or a few additions? I know Andrew Anthony went out today. Oh, five. Okay, you've been plugging away on those. So they're available on allcenters.com. Get to learn about these guys a little bit. A lot more are coming. Who if you want to dive in a little more what, what those are about? Well, um, so you guys know a couple of weeks ago we got the uh, we got access to the players. Um, we got basically 40, 45-minute interviews with a lot of these guys, and this is uh, a telling of their story, telling of how, how they arrived at the point where they decided to enter the transfer portal, what their first few years at their previous school was like. Uh, maybe you got some family situations in there. You got uh, their relationships with the coaching staff, who they've gravitated to on the football team, on the roster. For instance, Andrew Anthony was, today was talking about uh, the Stoops thing, Big Brother. Um, I didn't even know about that big brother thing until he mentioned it. So that's cool. There's uh there's just a lot. And here's the thing, everybody, every one of these 11 players has a different tale, a different story to tell. And so being able to do that, being able to get with these guys and have them talk about themselves, like Brent Fennable said, tell them your story. Don't let them tell your story. Tell them what your story is. You know, that's, that's kind of a nice philosophy. So um, being able to do that is, uh, is really cool at a, at a point in the year when there's not much football going on. Yeah, Trace Ford uh, out already. DeSalm McCullough, Jacob Lacey, Reggie Pierce, and then Angel Anthony went out today. So who's been staying busy? We'll have all the transfers up. Uh, so keep up with that and learn about these guys a little bit more here over the next uh, few weeks leading up to spring football, starting, like I said before, in three weeks from today. All right, we'll shift over to some other sports now. Start with men's hoops. Beat Iowa State on Saturday. Jacob Groves back from the dead. Uh, he really needed that. Played well. Got a win over the Cyclones and Ames. I don't know. I mean, is there hope here? I, I don't. I mean, I, I don't think that Oklahoma. I, I maybe if they won, if they went out all the way to the Big Twelve Championship game and then lost, they could get an at-large. Otherwise, I don't really think an at-large is probably on the table anymore. But it is encouraging to see that they're still playing hard. I think that's probably the biggest thing to go get a road win like that. I don't know. Probably too little, too late. But a nice win for the for the guys there. Where do these wins come from is my thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. We, Nobody, and I mean nobody, can figure this team out. Like, they don't they don't beat Iowa State on a buzzer beater, half-court heave, right? They beat the hell out of them, 61-50. What? Uh, <laughs> in Ames, Iowa. I mean, where did that come from? Just same as uh, the Alabama win, same as the way they beat Kansas State, kind of wire-to-wire in uh, Lloyd Noble. I just, I don't know. I can't even. I can't even fathom. Um, it's it's a testament to, you know, Porter Moser keeping things together, in the face of you know everything's falling around you, and you're able to hold up this one wall for a little while, right? That's kind of what he's doing. Uh, things are falling all around him, and he's able to to grasp these pieces and say, "Wait, we can still do this. We can still do this." And and let's not forget. Yes, the season is is probably lost. Yes, they're probably going to finish with a, a losing record, all that, right? It's a big disappointment in year two for Porter Moser. Week to week, game to game, day to day, half to half in bas- college basketball, you compete. 
and you compete to win and you compete to do your best and you compete not to embarrass yourself and you compete for your teammates and you compete for your coaches. That's what these guys are doing. They're, they're finding ways deep down inside them to come out and compete and play their ass off. And like we say, we don't know where these are coming from because they're not a good basketball team. They're not very athletic. They don't just knock the lights out every time they shoot it. Right. But they do compete and you got to admire that at some point, I guess. I think the wall they're holding up is the culture wall, boss. I think the culture wall is what is being, you know, it's what's remaining in the facility. Now, I actually think it's really simple. Um, Oklahoma has to hit nine or 10 threes to win a game. They're not good enough in any other aspect of the game to, to hang. And when they do that, they've won all the games this year except for one, and that's Texas Tech at home. And that's because that's a product of Texas Tech wants to stand five defenders with a foot in the paint and says, please shoot the three. Like, you have to shoot the three, and so you have to have a little bit higher volume. Uh, Porter Moser's post or preseason comments about having shot clock guys, there are no rondos on this team, is, like, more laughable every time they roll out on the floor because Jacob Grove, like, like they they would kill to have Rajon Rondo on this team. Jacob Groves went the whole conference slate without doing what he did. Um, so yeah, like if this team goes out there and hits 10 threes, they're going to get some upset victories. They're not going to hit 10 threes for seven straight games, or whatever it needs to be to win their last two of the regular season. What needs to be what five games, six games uh, to go into Kansas city. So uh, I hope that the team enjoys fat Joe and Shaq diesel in Kansas city and motors through all of the food. Uh, Cause otherwise it's just shoot, make threes. They'll win a couple of games until then. The whole thing is about creating enough buy-in so that you don't have eight guys at the transfer portal at the end of this season when they go to the NIT. Do you think coaches like Bill Self, for instance, um, you think coaches that play against Oklahoma in the Big 12 tournament this year, you think they're going to look at it and go, okay, good, we got Oklahoma in the first round, we're safe. Or are they going to look at it and go, oh, crap, not these guys. Which, which one of those two is more likely? Uh, I think because at the end of the day, if they lose, they're shaking their head, they're scratching their head, going, "What the hell just happened?" Yeah, I think there's fist pumps. <laughs> well, the worst team in the Big Twelve. Yeah, I, and they are. Everyone knows how to play Tanner Groves, right? Uh, beat the crap out of Grant Sherfield, and then hope that a true freshman of Milos Uzan carries the way. Especially if Cortez doesn't rejoin the team um, before head of that, everyone's like, "Woo!" Like. Even Mike Boynton, who is falling off a cliff without Avery Anderson, is going, please give me Oklahoma. Please give me Oklahoma. Dear God, please give me Oklahoma. You know, Caleb Boone wants that. Uh, yeah, that's Caleb how things would line up right now, is it would be Bedlam in the first round. You know, I asked Porter yesterday, just is he impressed, like who was just saying, with the fact that they are still playing hard? I mean, they went out 14-3 against Iowa State. That is a prime spot to just roll over and die and lose by – 30 points, and it looked, like, it looked like that's where things were going. Uh, but they battled back, and they dominated the second half, and they won. And, you know, Porter said what he had to say, which is it's not over. These guys don't believe it's over. He said, you know, last time I checked, there's an automatic bid still on the table if we won the Big 12 tournament. These guys are not going to just give up until it's over. So I do give him credit for that because it would be really easy to give up. It's been a tough season, very tough. It's tough for us. It's draining for us to cover it on a day-to-day. I gotta imagine to play in it and to be taking the losses, it's gotta be tough. So I do give him credit for that. Um, for continuing to play hard, both the team and for Porter, getting them to to rev back up and believe every time. Um, going to every game, truly believing that we're gonna win this game today. 
Um, that's how they play. So give him credit for that. Um, as far as Bijan, you know, Ryan, you mentioned him. He was at the facility yesterday. He was there. He was around. So I don't know if he's back. Porter gave an update, kind of. He said he's welcome back at any time. Um, but, like, they're not rushing him kind of a thing. So I don't know. He's back around, though. So I, it seems like he's getting close to back. I don't think he's going to be with the team tonight or anything, but he might be back soon. So we'll, we'll see. They could use him, and they'll help they can get, obviously. Big 12 is uh, very unforgiving. And uh, Big 12 tournament starts next week in Kansas City. We'll see what they do over the next few weeks. I don't think an at-large is on the table, but you never know. They do have a lot of good wins. For it's worth a lot of quad one wins uh, for that squad. As for the women, to get, to get the at large, they would have to sure. win their last two. They would have to win three in in Kansas City, uh, and and then lose obviously the finals. Um, is it on the table if they do that? It's a lot of good quad one wins if, if they think, do. I think maybe if you won the next two and then won two in Kansas City, that might be enough. That gets you to eighteen wins. It'd be close. It'd be close. Ryan, what do you think? We're operating in the realm of fantasy land. This team can't do this. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not worried about it. They haven't stacked games in a long time. I'm not worried about row. it. I need to do some quick research here. When's the last time that they won two in a row? We're talking about winning like six in a row. When's the last time they won two in a row? Yeah. Yeah, good call. Uh, back, back way back machine here. Before conference play. Yeah, it was non-conference. So they beat... Kansas State, but they lost to Kansas the game before that. Florida and Central Arkansas. The game before all Alabama was a loss. <laughs> the game before West Virginia was a loss. Yeah, I'm really struggling to find. Yeah, you're right, Hoof. I don't know if you just guessed that or if you were correct. No, or if you no I got that. the schedule up. Oh, okay. Florida, yeah. Central, Florida Arkansas. Central Arkansas. Good yeah, Lord. Back to back, we're wins. talking about winning like six in a row. So, so yeah, yeah, this conversation is not worth having. I'm sorry. moving on. I'm sorry to not. It, it's bad radio. It's bad podcasting. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I'm not here to entertain these. <laughs> it's not happening. You got to win the tournament, and that's not happening either. They are one and zero in the octagon of doom under Porter Moser after being zero for under Lawn. That's right. So, see if that changes tonight. Go, move we're to two. In, we're in Porter's month. This is where he thrives. It's March first today. This is where he All thrives. Right. Did you see the hats that K State's giving away to the student section tonight? Like they could welcome in Houston, Alabama, whatever. No one's beating Kansas State tonight with those lavender hats and the script J, uh, Wildcat. K State's got just... a good look in hoops. Football's good too, but in hoops especially, the lavender it goes. My advice okay. to anybody attending the game is don't walk on the north on the south <laughs> side of that slope. <laughs> Stay away from it. Don't go on it. No matter what. How glad are you that we don't go to Manhattan in football next year? Very glad. Very, very glad. <laughs> is there the last time in basketball? The worst media setup there is. Mark, way over here, walk all the way around the stadium to come in on this side of the <laughs> It's the worst there is. Come on. How many years in the SEC until a stadium just gets flat out mooned by Hoove because of? <laughs> I don't know. My Cincinnati might have some potential next at all year. costs. Provo, Provo. I will I, not. The people of Utah may arrest you. I will not drop trow in Utah. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's like the worst state to do that in. They'll give you the chair. In Utah. No chance. Uh, shifting over to women. I get eaten uh, by a mountain lion. <laughs> <laughs> cougar. <laughs> same thing, I think. I think genetically it's the same animal, if I'm not mistaken. You're right. Which is really stupid. AKA um, 
<laughs> yeah, so when Houston and BYU play each other, it's the same. It's the same. Wait, they're both the Cougars. Baseball's yeah. got two Cougars now. I'm not yes, even realize that. You've got, you got Cougar battles, and, and Oklahoma's entering the land of the Tigers. So, Right, three Tigers in the SEC. Not a lot of originality going on over there. All right, shifting over to women. So, yikes. I mean, this game on Saturday was, was not good. Um, they played Texas on Saturday. Huge game. Jenny Peroncheck, kind of like we were talking about with Bob Stoops earlier, challenged the fans, said, need to be there. And basically said, like, if we don't have a good crowd, then Oklahoma just doesn't give a crap about women's basketball, essentially is what she said. And OU fans responded. 10,000 people in there, biggest crowd since 2013. And in a very men's basketball against Bedlam fashion, they wasted it. They scored 45 points and they lost. By twenty plus, whatever it ended up being, disappointing, man. This is this is a this is a as as brutal of a loss as they've had under Baranchek. Maybe probably the most brutal. That that yeah, that stinks. Well, they, they lost by twenty at Texas, and then they come home, and you think, well, this is in Norman, right? Uh, get the mm. crowd fired up, you know, friendly rims, all that stuff. They lose by twenty two, and not only that, but they they score the fewest points they've scored since Jenny Baranchek's been here. Five. They average 82 points a game, more than 82 points a game, and they got 45. So uh, Oklahoma's lack of athletic ability, lack of post, legit post presence, lack of uh, athleticism in the low post for sure was exposed. Texas was just like, let's see what you got. Uh, Texas, give credit to, to Texas. They guarded. They guarded the perimeter very well. Um, Oklahoma didn't have a lot of open shots. They didn't make any, any open shots, but they didn't have a lot to take. So. Um, that's something that Oklahoma Jenny Brontek's probably going to want to address immediately in her recruiting or has addressed immediately in her recruiting. And that is getting more athletic. You got to get people who can do, again, we talked about this with the men teams. You got, you got to do, you got to get people who can guard multiple positions, uh, at high, at a high rate of speed. And, uh, Texas did that last week. Oklahoma did not. Yeah, Ginny Bronchek's done a whole lot of good, obviously, with this program since coming in. But this is the undercurrent is last year they did the regular season double. They sweeped Baylor. Massive something this universe that this program hadn't done in a really, really long time. And then as they were in the fight for the Big 12 top seed down the stretch, losses at Texas, losses to Iowa State. When they played ranked teams, they usually lost. Then you got to the Big 12 tournament, and they got smoked by Baylor when they were focused, playing really good basketball. Get to the NCAA tournament, all-time bad loss to Notre we're, Dame. We're your all other, there. It was rough. Yeah, your other good opponent. This year, start looking down that schedule, guys. Utah, a ranked team. I get it. OU's playing on the second night of a back-to-back. Utah wasn't. The score discrepancy does not reflect one team is more tired than the other. One team got run out of the gym. That was Oklahoma. OU lost to Baylor this year early on. Baylor's not the Baylor they were last year, but lost to Baylor in the LNC. Got smoked in Austin, like you mentioned. Really, the only two ranked wins they have this year, they beat an Iowa State team in Norman that lost Sora as their best player like two minutes into that game. And they beat Kansas when Kansas was a hanger-on at the bottom end of the rankings, Kansas is not a top 25 team. And oh, by the way, OU was way behind in that one, had to come all the way back. Go to Ames, lose, Texas at home. They're doing a great job of beating the teams they should be. And the problem is it's not close games. 
there's more blowouts than there are close games against the higher ranked teams that they've played the last two years. And so that that's kind of that that's gotta be what they have to ratchet up here in a couple of games and headed to Kansas City. It's not like a lost cause by any means. I think they've got the talent this year to not get blown out, certainly. But that's gotta be what Ginny Bronchek addresses. The style works, but you're headed to the SEC with actual behemoths there are no national championship contenders in this big 12 conference you're head of the sec you got to fix that in a hurry or it's going to be a lot of beat the bad teams get absolutely destroyed by south carolina and lsu yeah i don't think uh i mean outside of winning the big 12 tournament i don't we were chit-chatting before i don't we don't think that the a top 16 and, and having home games is Probably on the table for the reasons that Ryan just said. They don't have a lot of wins to really hang your hat on. Um, so we'll see. I mean, if they win out, you know, in the regular season here, winning Kansas City, the whole thing, they they probably get a top four seed, you know, and, and will host. Um, but yeah, I got to see if they can do that. And if Texas is in the way right now, I mean, that doesn't look good based off the first two matchups. Yeah, just extremely disappointing. Um, OU basketball teams and wasting great crowds this year. It's it's happened. You're trying so hard to get people to go to the LNC, and you've had it happen. Talk about men and women. You've had it happen a few times this year, and you've put out just horrendous performances. That, that That's it. You know, you need the fans there, and you're trying really hard, and you get them. you got to capitalize. And both men and women this year have really, really squandered some big chances to, to gain some fans, uh, for lack of a better way to describe that. So we'll see what they do. They got Kansas State tonight, just like the men do. So uh, that game's an LNC last home game for a lot of these OU vets. Ani Unusa, Maddie Williams, Taylor Robertson, who have had great careers. Um, they're going to finish up at home tonight. And uh, we'll see what they can do the rest of the way. Bellum this weekend, then Bitchell Tournament in Kansas City next week. So we'll keep it up with them. OU's 22-5 uh, and five on the season. Their net ranking right now, 36. So not horrible. But, Doesn't uh, match up with the record, though. A Power 5 team with only no. five losses, yeah. Yeah, not where you would. They're they're behind Columbia, who's twenty two and four, and they're right there with South Dakota State. Columbia, yeah, and that that net ranking is why when the NCAA puts out, you know, it's a new thing that they do their top sixteen, especially in women, it matters a ton because those are the hosts basically, and that's a reason mm-hmm. why Oklahoma's not been in those discussions because they haven't beat anybody impressive. They just haven't. The Big Twelve's not that's, as good. That's right on the edge of a three seed. Yep, so we'll see uh, what we're looking at uh, for them uh, next week. Obviously, moving into Kansas City, and then, yeah, whenever their bracket comes out, if they're going to be hosting or not. Probably need to win out to do that, like we were just saying there. Is All that right? Football. Did I say that right? Three seed? Well, the, the 16 would be – that's your top four seeds all the way through. Right. So you would have – yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. What am I thinking? I'm yeah. thinking of uh, – when you said sixteen, it made me think thirty-two would be the two seeds, and then no, that's not right. How it works. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. The reason the NCAA yeah. releases that sixteen is because that would be your host sites. That's your four-one seeds, four-two seeds, four-three seeds, four-four seeds. Uh, you're for, thinking you got diamond sports on the brain. You're thinking yeah. of the way that football, yeah. baseball terms work. Yeah, yeah. but when uh, so yeah, and the NCAA uses the net over RPI because they kind of rope it in. And if you're in the thirties and you ha- don't have a ton of wins, I don't know who's going to be in that room pounding the table for Oklahoma needs to be a host unless they win the Big 12 tournament, and they need to win the Big 12 tournament and beat Texas in route. It doesn't need to be a Texas gets upset, Baylor crashes out, and OU skates through on the lesser-than competition because they were fortunate of upsets elsewhere. Right. 
So, yeah, we'll see what they do this week. Last week of the regular season for college hoops. Uh, March, great month. Great Can't month. Come fast enough in the state of Oklahoma, am I right? We're all ready to <laughs> wrap it up. Let's wrap it up and get to the meat part of Diamond Sports and spring football. I think everybody's ready for that. Speaking of Diamond Sports, let's head over there to wrap up the show. Softball. Jesus. Uh, they destroy UCLA. We're, we did the show last week, and we talked about you know their first loss, and they fell down to number two, but we said at the end of that segment, you know, they can get that number one ranking right back if they if they just can beat UCLA this weekend, and they beat them down 14 nothing on Sunday in California. And what can you say? I mean, when, when they're playing as they want to be or their best or whatever, nobody can touch them, and that's what you saw on Sunday. They go undefeated out there in California. They're back to number one. All is right in the world again for for Patty Gasso's team. That was uh, embarrassing if you're UCLA, except for the Usually fact that it was it was an improvement over the last time they played Oklahoma. <laughs> it was. was fifteen to nothing in the College <laughs> World Series. So uh, UCLA's looking at that, going, "Hey, we did better. We did better. We're on the way up." Um, yeah, what what a what an absolute unit Oklahoma softball is right now. It's it's not even it's not even. When they play poorly and they don't hit in the clutch and they don't really execute a, a ton of important pitches at Baylor in a non-conference game at Baylor and they lose four to three, you're like, oh God, what's happening? What's but then but then they turn it around immediately and sweep through the Mary Nutter and and beat some good teams, beat some impressive teams, and then flex their muscles against UCLA. It's it's obscene, guys. We're this team. I'll be. I'm not going to make like eat my hat or anything like that if they don't win the national championship, but I will be absolutely on my back, eyes wide open, floored if they don't win the national title. <laughs> yeah, they're going to need – it's going to have to be a group effort in Oklahoma City. Uh, they're going to need someone to beat Oklahoma, kind of like the James Madison thing. You need someone to beat them early and then someone else to come through and beat them because like, there's no team in the country that can beat them in a three-game series. I just refuse yeah. to believe it based off what we've seen. Because like Sidney Sanders hasn't come online yet. Like her splits this year versus what she was last year at Arizona State are night and day. She has so much room to improve. Alina Torres hasn't really even kicked it into high gear. She had a good weekend, but it wasn't even below standard. Kinsey Hansen, she came in and dropped eight RBIs in her first weekend, two home runs against UCLA, but her average, she had productive at bat. She had a ground out that was an RBI. She had a sack fly. But, like, when Kinsey Hansen, if she gets back to 2021 Kinsey Hansen, that's a grounder through the middle. That's a double off the wall that not only scored somebody but puts her on base. That hasn't happened yet. Jordy Ball is not playing her best softball. Like, there is so much room for this team to improve. And they just beat UCLA into submission. And Alex Straka looked every bit of the the star that Hope Troutwine was last year as far as a super senior transfer coming in. Straka had no trouble at all with that UCLA lineup. I just... It was funny, last year after Oklahoma beat UCLA in Game 2, you saw a bunch of UCLA players on TikTok saying, like, we didn't want to be in Oklahoma City anyway, anymore, it's a crappy city, all that stuff. No one was talking about leaving Palm Springs or anything like that. It was just sad. It was not, there was not even any coping mechanism. It was just sad from UCLA. It was perfect because there's always the conversation of unfair advantage, right, for OU to be in Oklahoma City every year. This was in California. This is at 9.30 local in California, which is wild, by the way, that first pitch time. And just, yeah, I mean, just an assault, just an absolute 
just splattering everywhere. Um, and yet, horrible from them. And from yet, them. one of the coaches in the 32-member <laughs> coaching yep. poll, coaches poll who votes uh, USA Today, right, Ryan? USA Today coaches poll, NFCA. Somebody voted UCLA number one on their ballot. We don't know who. We did There's a deep 32, dive. We looked it up. There's 32 coaches who vote, allegedly. And each one represents a conference. So there's 32 conferences, 32 coaches. I Who voted UCLA number one? I have a theory. I have a theory as well. Go one ahead. of the 32 coaches doesn't have A, Flow Softball, <laughs> B, the MLP Network, and C, Twitter.com. All three of them, one of the 32 coaches is just off all of them. Wait, they won by how much? Oh, I got to get my vote back. Nope, sorry, too late. Deadline's passed. No, somebody submitted a ballot. They've got it like computerized, like they drag and drop, and they, it replaces the team above. Something like that happened, and and somebody just didn't move UCLA and Oklahoma didn't swap them. That's all it was. It was or people are like, there's this conspiracy theory, and this coach hates that coach. And I thought it might be like the the football coaches have like 65, and there's like several from the same conference. I thought Patty might have voted her team number two to motivate him, right? I would. I'd be smart about it. I'd be like, hmm, nobody knows I can do this, so I'm going to do it. Look, there's still a doubter out there who doesn't believe in you. Patty's not like that, of course. She's better than me, but uh, she's not one of the voters. So it's not. let's, let's take that off the table. Tinfoil hat. Patty has a lot of friends in the profession. She asked one of the other coaches, like, hey, can you still put us at number two? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. I think it is nefarious. I think there's somebody that just – you see this all the time with like the AP poll in college football where it's like Miami at number nine gets a number one vote. They just like get off to being the one person down there like, ah, oh, that's me, and nobody knows it. That's, I think uh, it's a mistake, and I think it's obvious because the previous three weeks, OU was the unanimous number one. So if somebody's got a grudge against Patty or OU or whatever, they didn't two weeks ago. Yeah. So now they do all of a sudden. So. I don't yeah. know. We need to just – we need to get in contact with every coach – and grill them until somebody comes clean because we had to get to the bottom of this. What is the reason that this happened? Is it because it was 930 local in California? You're giving UCLA a pass? Yep. Body clock, baby. The committee. Body clock. Here's, here's the, okay. Oklahoma has one loss to Baylor. UCLA has one loss to Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a better loss than Baylor. Therefore, by the math of the college football playoff committee, UCLA is one. That's a quality loss. OU's is yeah. not a quality loss. Is Baylor Perfect. number one then? No. No, no. no. Transitive properties? No. Baylor's not the number one team in the country? That is. No, that's they've, exactly. They've dropped, they've dropped other games. So we've, we've got a circle of suck situation going on. Okay. What you just said, Ryan, is ridiculous. And that is exactly how the CFP has decided things for a decade now. Yes. It's like, oh, well, Alabama, look at their loss. It's like, but that that's who they lost to. It's like they, they put your brain in a pretzel. Everything you know about sports just collapses. With that group of people, Michigan, Michigan State uh, two weeks ago doesn't matter. Doesn't yeah, matter. no, irrelevant. You play irrelevant. to lose the game. Hello. <laughs> yeah, it's like when Ohio State got in over Penn State that time, and it's like, but Penn State beat Ohio State. They literally yeah. played. What are we doing? Expanded playoff. One more year. One more year, folks. Can't one wait to argue year. about number twelve and number thirteen. Fire me up. I'm here for it. Oh, it'll be great. It'll be great. It'd be great, but then those teams will just go get ran, so it won't matter in the in the grand scheme. It won't matter at the end of the day. Um, wrapping up with some baseball, so they went two and two on opening weekend. They went two and two to follow it. 
So they're four and four now. But the last two games really encouraging. Um, they so they lost the midweek game to Abilene Christian last week. Then they lost the opener to Ryder. They were two and four, but they won the last two. They hit. They pitched. They played much better defense. It feels like a corner is being turned offensively, and that's why, personally, and you know, I shoot you guys straight on this show. We were honest. I am really optimistic about the direction that they're going because they are hitting right now, and mainly the guys who aren't hitting are guys who we know are going to hit. Uh, John Spikerman and Jax Nicholas, the returning guys, are the guys who are struggling right now. The new faces are. Anthony McKenzie's on-base percentage is like pushing 600. He's been incredible so far. Dakota Harris has been great so far. Bryce Madrid's team is slowly starting to get it going. And the weekend rotation is looking really, really solid. So I think Oklahoma's really close to starting to ramp this thing up, which, again, like we talked about many times, this team was really kind of finding their way until like April last year. So the fact that they're playing, they're seeming to start to find a little bit right here as we hit March. There's reasons to be encouraged, uh, I think, for this team. And they got some big games coming up, so we're going to learn more about them here very, very soon. But I think there's reasons for optimism right now with this team. Uh, I just I don't disagree, Josh. I think uh, the freshman that you mentioned, um, what in terms of a ranking of this recruiting class, this incoming recruiting class, was this one of the more respected classes or more highly ranked classes? Well, when you when you loop in like the JUCO kids and stuff, yes, because uh, Skip Johnson always raids the JUCO ranks very very well, and that's where you know guys like Bryce Madrin came from the JUCO level and things like that. So when you loop that in, yes, it was very highly thought of in terms of that with the portal. Got a Lamar kid as well again. Yeah, Braxton Doubt hit uh, the Sunday starter was really really good. Six dominant innings from him. He's looking he's looking solid so far as the Sunday guy. It, so yeah, no, there's lots of reasons to be excited about what they're doing right now, in my opinion. Well, and not just that, it felt like like we know replacing arms, Skip is going to get those guys firing. Sometimes it just takes a little bit to get going. But for me, last year it seemed like with the the chaos on the bases, right? The the branded chaos, it took a little bit for that group to figure out. Okay, what's the line between being really really aggressive but being smart? and being really, mm. really aggressive and maybe getting thrown out in some spots that may be a little reckless just because – and it felt like it took a little bit for those guys to figure out that line. And I wonder how much of that, when you have so many new guys coming in too, is almost a relearning process of we want to put that pressure on, but also you don't want to do that to an extent where there's kind of miscues and things like that. And I think that that's an element too of it's not just the hitting, like the entire offense that – thinking about it yeah. more with what you're doing on the base pad. It's not just as simple as get everything straightened out in the batter's box and everything's copacetic and good. Yeah, and, and the main thing to keep in mind, too, is that Skip Johnson's going to always get the pitchers where they need to be. Uh, that's his forte, and he's made really good hires with Reggie Willits. You saw what he did last year for the team. And then this year, so far, Russell Raley, uh, really good reviews on him so far. And you see the impact it has on these guys at bats and and uh, the offense just in general since he brought those guys in. He's made much – I don't know if – I don't want to dump on the hires he made before, but Reggie and Russell Raley have both been really good additions for, for that program. And so you're seeing that play out. And then as far as the, the rotation, you know, I mean, it's another thing that people just forget last season. I know a lot of people weren't dialed in from February on. Last season, the rotation – I'm not saying this year's rotation is going to end up being as good. But last year, the rotation everybody loved, they all got drafted. At this point in the year, Jake Bennett was not off to a great start. 
David Sandlin was off to kind of a bad start, and people were wondering, is he going to be like in the rotation all year? And Kate Horton wasn't even starting games yet. Uh, he didn't start pitching starting games until you know middle of April or so. So the rotation being what it has been these first two times through, they're further ahead than they were at this point last year. Again, not saying they're going to get to where they were in Omaha, where they were just, all three guys were just dominating, but they're further ahead. At this point last year, they're further ahead when the, with the rotation. So I think there's lots of reasons to be encouraged. And we'll see what they got. Fun game tonight against UT Arlington. They're coached by Clay Van Hook, who, of course, was on the staff last year in that Omaha run. He left to take the head coaching job at UT Arlington. That's who they play tonight at their place. And then a big weekend in Frisco where they play um, Ohio State, California, and Mississippi State. And obviously the Mississippi State one is the one of the biggest interest there. SEC team that's a perennial tournament team, perennial Omaha resident, things like that. So that's coming up this weekend. Some Power 5 competition. You get to learn a little more about them, uh, this team, coming up this week. Um, but the offense seems to be turning a corner, which is what was off to such a slow start, was they weren't scoring runs. A couple of big games. They actually run-rolled Ryder. Took a page out of softball's book with a run-roll on uh, on Sunday. Uh, so, yeah, reasons to be encouraged there. All right, I think that's it. Any last don't thing? Forget, uh, don't forget women's gymnastics. Uh, Friday against number – they're number one, of course. Yeah. Friday against number two-ranked uh, Florida at the Lloyd Noble Center. And then uh, next Monday they go to number four-ranked uh, Michigan up in Ann Arbor. So, um Yes. I just looked I, it up. There I, are 84 teams that compete in women's gymnastics in the in the country, including the University of Alaska. I did not know that. That's amazing. That's absolutely that amazing. amazing. No way they travel that much. Um, <laughs> Who do they compete against? <laughs> actually, yeah. I went on Monday and talked to KJ Kindler and several gymnasts, and I was a little bit of a fish out of water. Not a little bit. I was very much a fish out of water. Uh, I'm not very up to speed on all the gymnastics vernacular, but they were all great. Coach Kindler was great. So if you want to hear from them, that's on allsooners.com. Um, little little gymnastics video for you. We cover it all, man. We got you covered here. We're all we're all up on everything. Um, so that was uh, that was a new experience for me, but it worked out. Ryan, you, you got any good. gymnastics intel you want to jump in with? I've got nothing. I learned about um, OU is apparently featured in like a women's gymnastics series, like a like a dramatized series, which was just news to me. I didn't know that the OU licensed out stuff like that for. Uh, what is it? It's not bring it on or whatever, but that, that was my intake. And I'm like, well, when you uh, just curb stop people left, right and center. And then like oh, last yeah. year when you had, it was supposed to be the unexpected year where it was the, the gymnast national gymnastics spot that had said, like, you don't have to worry about Oklahoma this year that coach Kindler had like printed out after they won the national Worst championship. Take of all time. Yeah. I'm just like, well, when you do that, Netflix is going to come a calling. <laughs> Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, all the gymnasts uh, we talked to on Monday, they went to Florida last year, and they all talked about across the board how insane it was. So the crowd was gigantic; it was like you couldn't hear yourself think the entire time. So there's kind of been a little bit of a call to arms again uh, here for OU fans, and OU fans go out for gymnastics. There's not really an issue there. Uh, they've set records almost every time out this season, but uh, one versus two, Florida in town. KJ Kindler's hoping for a 10,000 plus type crowd, and she'll probably get it because uh, gymnastics fans are very, very loyal to that program, and rightfully so. They, they dominate all the time. I think they had their highest rank, highest uh, crowd ever for West Virginia was 6,200. So that was last week. Um, and by the way, there are four currently four teams from the SEC ranked in the top 10. So 
guess what? Mm. They're good over there in that too. Yeah, fitting right in in that regard uh, is OU in in the gymnastics field. So that that'll be a nice uh, little fit in for them whenever we get there for that. All right, I think that's it. Any last things? Got nothing. Not that I can think of. I think we covered it all. <laughs> On to the next one. All right, we'll be back next week, getting ever so close to the start of spring ball, recapping all the latest news on the football front, and, of course, the latest action for men's and women's hoops, softball, baseball, everything else. That's what we do here on allsooners.com. You can catch that show next week on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon-able device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, AllSooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer, and you can watch all the shows on Hoover's YouTube page, John Hoover Media, as well. That's it. For Ryan Chapman and John Hoover, I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time.